Good morning, good evening, and good night. Whatever time of day you're listening to this, welcome to What Lies in the Dark. I'm Jay Yvonne. All your life, you've been taught that the monsters you fear are under your bed and they're hiding in your closet. As you grow older, you find out that monsters aren't real. But are they? They don't hide or go boo in the night. They look just like us. They even live next door. They're our friends. They're our family. They're our neighbors. And sometimes they're even our spouses. This isn't to scare you. It's to keep you vigilant. Keep your eyes open. It's to debunk the idea that monsters just simply are not real. Statistics say about 50% of victims know their attackers. That means 50% of the time, you shouldn't fear the unknown monsters in the dark. You must be careful of the monsters you already know. Maybe you have to know the darkness before you can appreciate the light. If you're anything like me, you love true crime. You're simply addicted to trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, and the why the psychology of it all. You sit on the edge of your seat trying to piece the puzzle together before the end of the story. So allow me every week to tell you a true crime story. Come feed your true crime addiction with me. Grab your coffee, midday pick-me-up, wine, adult beverage, or whatever you're into. And let's get into this week's story. What's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? Did you miss me? Because I miss you. I was going to actually like officially put those um, sounds in here, but I realized that copyright probably can't do it. But you know, it is what it is. Welcome back, my true crime junkies to the WLITD family. If you're new, hi how are you if you're um part of the family you've been a part of the crew no matter if it's since day one or since last week if you're a part of the crew you you know when these um podcast episodes are being uploaded yeah you know how we do over here thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in um i'm gonna do like official shout outs at the end of this episode because y'all my mind is officially blown at the love and the support and how far this podcast is reaching like I really I was like oh yeah I'm gonna have a whole bunch of Texas subscribers because you know Texas is where it's at but I have subscribers from like a little bit of everywhere and I'm just thankful I'm grateful so I thank you for being a part of the family if you're not a part of the family go ahead and become a part of the family get notified when I post new episodes that's every Monday 
for one. And for two, go on and slide to Apple. For some reason, they're the only place that you can leave a review. But go on slide to Apple. Leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Leave me an honest review. I like honesty over here. Um, leave me a review telling me how you think I'm doing. Whether you think it's one star, two star, three star, four star, five star. Just leave me an honest review. Tell me what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right, so that I can make this podcast something you want to listen to every Monday. And maybe again on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're trying to get your fix because I only post on Mondays. Um, and for everybody who's like, oh, Mondays isn't enough. I hear you. I hear you. But I can't do nothing about that right now. So maybe in the future, I'll be able to post more than just once a week. But for right now, y'all are unfortunately going to have to miss me six days out of the week while I prepare for following Monday. But I hear you. I love y'all. Thank you so much for the support. Um, Stay rocking with me. I'm going to keep giving you good content. All right? All right. I'm going to stop rambling. Love y'all. Love y'all. Love y'all. Now time for the episode. All right. So last week we did a history lesson. And this week we're going to do another, like, you know, a little small little history lesson. So first... I'm going to set the atmosphere. I'm going to set the tone. I want to take you guys back to the Jim Crow era. And I know that a lot of us know that term, but we may not necessarily know what Jim Crow law was. So Jim Crow laws were put into place basically to segregate. That's what Jim Crow is. They were enforcing segregation between the whites and the blacks in all places that were deemed public so you guys can't go to school together can't use the water fountain can't go to the park buses anything you could think of um jim crow had some kind of rule regulations and guidelines in order to separate what this group of people and this group of people could do jim crow laws were put into place in the late 1800s and the early 1900s and it was enforced up until so the civil rights act of 1964 so just imagine i mean 1964 y'all we're just in 2022 so i mean that wasn't that long ago where there there was somebody saying oh no that's the colored only fountain and so Okay, we're not going to get into all that. We're not, you know, calm my my frustrations down because we're just getting started and I don't want y'all to tune me out so quickly. But again, setting the stage. So Jim Crow laws were segregation laws um, that were put into place in the late 1800s and they did not end until 1964 or around 1964 um, with the Civil Rights Act. And the reason why the Jim Crow laws were called Jim Crow laws was, from my understanding, there was a caricature, I think that's how you say the word, um, that was used in a song um, back in the 1800s. And they just took that, and I I guess it was supposed to depict an African-American. They took that caricature, caricature, y'all can't talk, I'm sorry. They took it and they decided that like basically that was going to be the mascot for Jim Crow. And that is where the term came from. And it referenced black people, African-Americans. Um, and, and they just took that and ran with it. I'm like, okay, we like that term, Jim Crow. That's, that's what we're going to call these segregation laws. And so, like I said, they were 
it was it was a law on everything. Something as simple as getting on the bus was segregated. Schools were segregated. Who got supplies was segregated. Um, how you got your your tickets to the movies, um, how you stood in line to you know, to sit in waiting rooms was segregated. Um how you were buried. Like there was literally a restriction on who could bury you. A white person could not bury a black person and vice versa. Um, so like if you were black, you got buried by a black person. And if you were white, you got married, you, I married, probably married too, but buried, you got buried by the person in your own racial class. Um, and it was, it was to the point where, they even set up uh, ways to keep black people from voting. So they they set up uh, restrictions that said that you had to pay a tax in order to vote. And on top of that, you also have to pass a test in order to vote. And um, if you didn't pass the test, then you you couldn't vote. So then... It was it was assessed that there were also white people who were not passing this test. So that's when the term grandfathered clause came into play. And essentially what that means is what we know it to mean today. Hey, I, I'm, I've been a customer with AT&T since AT&T was singular. So y'all, you know, I need this deal. I need that deal. And they'd be like, oh, you're you're. Your plan with us is grandfathered in. You've been with us so long. You're such a loyal client. We'll do whatever we need to do to keep you. Um, so back in the day, a grandfather clause uh, for the Jim Crow voting law would mean that if your ancestors were able to vote, you were able to vote. And not just anybody's ancestors. Obviously, if your white ancestors were able to vote, and you did not pass this test, don't worry about it. You're still able to vote. Um, the voting was only used to keep black people from being able to vote. So I just want to set that tone. That That is the era in which we are going to be talking about in today's episode. So are you ready? All right. So also before I really, really, really get into it, I'm sorry, y'all. Um, this time period, they have information out there, um, but stories like this where I'm trying to give um, not just a history lesson, but trying to talk about the person like I do in all the other episodes is very, very hard um, because a lot of the sources out there don't give a good description, depiction of who the person was. And I was getting so frustrated clicking on these articles because I realized that a lot of them were the same article just posted on many different sites. So um, the writing back then, the recording back then was very, very scarce. So the information that I have, I pulled from so many different sources and it was basically just the same information over and over again. So unfortunately, I was not able to give our um, our our person um his his flowers his respect because i don't have enough i don't have a lot of information about who he was prior to the events that take place so just want to put that disclaimer out there willie francis was born january 12th 1865 
1929 and was the youngest of his siblings living in Louisiana. Now, it was said that he had 12 or 13 siblings, um, African-American descent, obviously, um, really, really, really big family. Um, that's all the information that they have about him. So y'all don't throw stones at me. I'm sorry. I tried. Anyways, November of 1944, a pharmacist named Andrew Thomas was shot several times. Andrew was found at his home deceased. After about nine months of police having no leads and no suspects, the police were instructed to just arrest anybody. Just put somebody in handcuffs. We have to close this case because the hysteria within the community was getting so bad. A lot of the community members were so anxious about there being someone out there killing and the police not having any leads, no suspects, and nobody charged for this, that they were like, just to calm and ease everybody's nerves, we just need to get somebody on the books. A few weeks after police was giving this instruction, they arrested 16-year-old Willie Francis, who was 150 miles away from the murder. Willie was said to be visiting his sister when police spotted him and decided that they were going to pick him up on suspicion of drugs. Now, there is no information about why they thought he was suspicious of the drugs, but that was what they initially spotted him and picked him out for. It was like, we believe that you're tied to some drug activity. They thought that he was a drug dealer's accomplice. And after a minute, they realized that they had nothing on him. They had nothing to tie him to what they originally stopped him for. So then they started questioning him about the murder of Andrew Thomas. It was said in a couple of articles that he knew Andrew Thomas um, prior to this event that he'd worked for him. It doesn't say in what capacity, if he was just like a volunteer worker, if he actually worked work for him, if he like actually went in every day, like punching a clock work for him, um, if he just worked for him in passing. It doesn't give um, how how familiar he was with um Andrew Thomas but it did say that he worked for him so he um Andrew Thomas was not like a complete stranger to Willie um supposedly they found uh Andrew Thomas's wallet and ID in Willie's possession but they didn't log it into evidence it was just something that they note notated as the reason or part of the reason why they even began looking at Willie for this murder Willie began naming several other people for the murder, but police completely ignored that information. Because Willie was stuttering during his interrogation, police believed that they had their guy. They're like, you can't even get through this inter this this questioning without stuttering. You're so nervous. Um, guilty people are the only people who are nervous. Innocent people are never this nervous. So they're like. I guess they got a checklist of things that they're looking for in these interrogations. And he is not checking the boxes correctly. He is on their hot list. He's on their radar. They think that they can really tie him to this. And again, like I said, this is during the Jim Crow era. So keep that in mind. All right. So not long afterwards, um, Willie had signed a confession. He said that he had murdered Andrew Thomas. And the following day, they'd also obtained a second signed confession. So the first signed confession um, was very kind of vague. It did say that he did it, um, but the verbiage used 
sounded like he had been coerced. And the police even, I guess, suspected that it might have sound that way because they also had a disclaimer on it that said like we did not tell him what to say we did not coerce him and then the second one was a little bit more detailed saying like how he obtained the weapon and um how he um how he committed the murder and how he waited for him and you know why he was in possession of his uh, his equipment his items things of that nature and then the police also took out their coercion statement so the two statements vastly differ but regardless police deny that they had anything to do with willie's confession at all and um it was said that the confession was very, very suspicious because the verbiage used seemed to be coached to him by police. And Willie also didn't have any legal counsel during the time of his confession. So there is nobody else that can testify to what took place except for Willie and the officers in which uh, interrogated him and had him sign the confession. Three weeks after arresting him, Willie was placed on trial. He pled not guilty, even though he'd confessed, and his lawyer was his lawyers were just not having it. They tried to reverse his not guilty plea. So a couple of sources say that um, they even tried to put it on record that he wanted to change his not guilty plea. Um, it it never confirmed or denied like if they actually put it on record um, or if it was just that they were so displeased with the fact that they were actually going to have to try to fight his case for him that they were just like yeah we just gonna enter a guilty plea and keep it moving um, and again Jim Crow I'm gonna keep saying that because I want y'all to realize that um, this is a black teen fighting for his freedom and for for the ability not ability to not be placed in these circumstances without the 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 means that he needs in order to be put in at least leveled playing field, right? So everybody at this point is against him, even his lawyers. His lawyers are trying to reverse his not guilty plea and they refuse to make any opening statements. They went as far as to not cross-examine any witnesses or any of the evidence. And it's said that the evidence against Willie was suspect. The validity of Willie's confession was never questioned, nor, nor was him confessing without counsel ever brought up in his trial. So they didn't even, it, I don't know if it dawned on them, if it was a red flag to them or what, but they didn't even bring up the fact that this man confessed and there's nobody there to verify that his confession wasn't coerced. Um, there's no lawyering. I know it's not a real word, but there's no lawyering going on on this trial. It's literally just very, very one-sided. The prosecution is pleading their case and Willie's uh, lawyers, his team, is just sitting there, the whole trial, just letting them say whatever they're going to say in order to prosecute Willie. Um, so something that was very questionable or one of the things that was questionable, for instance, was uh, Willie said that he'd stolen the murder weapon from the sheriff deputy, but the gun was reported to have been stolen two months prior. So... To me, that's a red flag. Like someone stole a, a weapon from a police officer. Obviously, it's going to be hot, but they hold on to it for two months and then use that exact same weapon to murder someone. Also, it was never fingerprint tested and the bullets found at the scene did not match the guns that were, did not match the ones that were found inside the gun. Well, mysteriously, the gun and the bullets were lost before the trial even started. 
more suspiciously than any of that was the fact that the gun tied the sheriff deputy to the crime more than it tied Willie to the crime because it was reported that the sheriff had threatened to kill Andrew Thomas because he suspected him of, of having an affair with his wife. Andrew's neighbors stated that they heard the shots and when they went out to see what was going on, they saw the headlights of a car in Andrew's driveway. Willie is a poor black teenager with no access to a car and he also doesn't know how to drive. So if Willie in fact did commit the crime, who's in the car? Where did the car come from? And how all of a sudden does Willie have access to a vehicle if he does not have the means or the ability to be able to drive. Lastly, after an autopsy, the coroner noted that whoever had murdered Andrew Thomas was probably a professional or someone who had experience with guns, which really had neither. The trial lasted two days and the jury took 15 minutes minutes you guys 15 minutes that is ridiculous that ain't even in today's time that's not even a whole episode of spongebob before they were like willie guilty like i know i could have used a different reference it could i could have used something other than spongebob that was just the first thing that popped up in my head but like that's a commercial free episode of spongebob that's that's, that's less than a commercial free episode of spongebob They've already decided this man's faith. On May 3rd of 1946, at 17 years old, Willie was preparing for his last moments. Can you imagine that? 17, haven't really lived life, don't really know much about anything. And I'm sure, I think he was the youngest of his siblings. Um, yes, he was the youngest of his siblings. Um, you're getting like all of your, probably most of his moments living in, in this day and age um, with that big of a family, they're said to not have a lot of financial means. You're probably not getting a lot of moments to yourself. So a lot of the moments that you have, a lot of the memories you have are probably just like hand-me-down memories from your siblings. But at 17 years old, after a 15-minute thought you're convicted and preparing for your last moments. That is heart-wrenching. Willie said that he was told not to worry because it would not hurt. And Willie said that the only thing that he was thinking about was not whether or not it was going to hurt, but just the, the thought that this thing was about to kill him. He sat in Gruesome Gertie, which was uh, Louisiana's electric chair. That's what they nicknamed it. And he was unable to speak clenching his fist so scared he just waited because he knew from the way they were talking this was going to be a quick process they asked him if he had any last words and he couldn't say anything he was like i don't have anything i could say when the switch was flipped it didn't do what it was supposed to do something had gone wrong instead of taking his last breath Willie had survived. Willie was sent back to his cell after being examined. And unfortunately for Willie, this was not the end of his story. This was not the end of his tumultuous story. This was just the beginning. After the fell attempt to end his life, he would face a year-long court battle regarding 
the botched execution. After the attempt, Willie was able to give an account of what it felt like to be in the electric chair. He said it felt like a hundred and a thousand needles and pins were pricking him all over and that his left leg felt like somebody was cutting it with a razor blade. Willie said that he could feel his arms jumping at his side and he thought he was going to knock the chair over. While he was feeling the electricity surge through him, he yelled for them to stop and turn it off. Witnesses said that they flipped the switch and immediately Willie began shaking and convulsing. They were warned to stay back and Willie's chair began to slide. He was shaking and fighting against the straps and it just seemed like something wasn't right. The sheriff even noticed and he even notated that this was very, very unusual and this is not how it normally goes. They turn off the machine and they go to examine Willie. That's when it was determined that he was still alive and breathing. They decide that since it didn't work, they're going to give it another shock. So not, it's, it's not bad enough right? That we've put you through this. We've already promised you this is going to be quick and easy. It's not supposed to hurt. You're not going to feel a thing for the most part. You know, whatever they they said to him and it doesn't work. And you've already gone through this traumatic experience, but let's do it again because that seems like the, the most logical thing. So they flip the chair on again and step away. Willie begins to shake again, and the chair slides and rocks on the floor. Willie begins to scream, take it off, I can't breathe. Willie is told that he's not supposed to breathe. They let the shock continue about 30 seconds until Willie screams again, I'm not dying. By this time, the sheriff decides that today is probably not the day that Willie's going to die, and they turn the machine off. Once the pain and the nightmare were over, it's discovered that the gruesome Gertie had been set up wrong. The electric chair was portable and it was used by many different facilities in Louisiana to carry out executions. So just picture that the, this machine that's supposed to take away life is literally being transported from facility to facility to facility, right? Whenever someone needs to be executed or is set to be executed, whenever their date is given, there's a machine that's tied to um, a transportation vehicle. They, they send it to whatever facility needs it at the moment. They hook it up and then they carry out the execution and then this machine then gets shipped on to wherever it's supposed to go to next so it's not it's not that they all have their own equipment and it's checked they make sure that it's working correctly um you know because we don't want to treat you like a human we're going to treat you like a failed science experiment so we're just going to pass this thing off to many different people right so um the machine was set up by a sheriff and a basically like a volunteer it wasn't really a volunteer he was a prisoner but he was electric he was an electrician so they used a prisoner and a police officer in order to set this machine up the night before setting up the machine the officer had been out drinking even though 
he did nothing wrong. The executioner was upset with Willie. The executioner said to him in a cheery voice, goodbye, Willie, as he was turning on the machine. And when Willie wasn't dead minutes later, he shouted at him that he missed him this time. But next week, he was going to get him, even if he had to use a different instrument. So Willie's execution was set for the following week. Willie's survival was seen as divine intervention. A lot of people were thinking, hey, listen, maybe the reason why it didn't work was because he's not supposed to die. Willie's face and his story was plastered all on the front pages of the news. After his botched execution, could Louisiana really put him to death again? The media attention began to highlight how Black people were treated in Louisiana's court system. Willie, like many other Black inmates, had little legal protections that were available to them. Willie's dad took this as his opportunity to get his son another chance. So he hires a lawyer and and does what he can do to get his son another trial. About a year later, he hires, I'm going to say this man's name wrong, so I'm just going to call him DeBlanc. About a year later, he hires DeBlanc to appeal Willie's sentence. He's arguing that, not that Willie is guilty or not guilty, but that it is not human to make Willie endure the chair twice and that this constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. He also noted that this violates his Fifth Amendment right for being punished for the same crime twice, which is double jeopardy. Willie's case makes it to the Supreme Court. A day after Willie's 18th birthday, the court makes a ruling. And unfortunately, it is not the ruling that we're all crossing our fingers hoping for. They rule five to four against Willie. Despite this ruling, Associate Justice Felix Frankfurt, Frankfurter, with the help of a lawyer friend of his, tried to get Willie clemency. They decide that, like, again, we're not saying that this man is not guilty, but what we are fighting for is, again, his right as a human. So instead of putting him in the electric chair again, instead of making him face another gruesome death, can we just put him on uh, can we just put him life in prison and unfortunately this works neither so that plan fails as well and again like i said this is during the era of the jim crow law so he's not going to get a fair, fair trial they're not going to see him in the same light um they really just want to hang someone for an Obviously, they're not really hanging, but they really just want to put someone on the docket for this man's murder because it's it's a, a white man murdered in this city. It's mass hysteria about who could have done it. And at this point, we've already plastered all over that this black teen has done it. We can't just give him leniency because if we do that, then we're not living up to the to the laws, the regulations and the guidelines that we've already set. So Willie's lawyer never gives up and he never stops fighting for Willie. 
Once he learns that one of the executioners was drunk while handling the setup of the chair, he works really, really hard to try to get Willie a proper trial. And even with this information, Willie is denied a new trial. Willie is told that they could take this case to the Supreme Court again. But this time he is hopeless. He's like, listen, I didn't do it to begin with. I've been set up there. I've been put in a chair. The chair didn't work. I've been put on trial again. That didn't work. I've gone to the U.S. Supreme Court just to fight for the fact that the execution was botched. That didn't work. I've been asked for for leniency to just not have to go through that experience again and to be able to just serve my time with life in prison and that doesn't work and I really don't want to fight anymore and so he tells his attorney not to worry about it that he doesn't want to go through with the trouble and just reading that statement alone makes me so sad that this teenager who hasn't really lived is ready to just throw in the towel and completely give up because he sees at his tender age of 17 that the system is not set up to work for him but against him and he doesn't want to be let down anymore he doesn't want to let his family die he doesn't want to continue to give hope when he knows and he feels like this is just a hopeless cause and he tells his attorney that he is ready So on May 9th of 1947, Willie has no final words. And at 12.05 p.m., the switch is pulled. And five minutes later, Willie is declared deceased. This time, the machine works and the execution was heartbreakingly successful. I... I don't know. I... I wanted to do this story because I just want to know how unlucky can one person get. And I know there are probably so many other cases of people being unlucky. Um, But this is how unlucky can you get? I mean, you you're unlucky because they pick you up for one thing and somehow they tie you into something else. Um, You happen to know the person in some capacity. Um. And you're being accused of their murder. You are set to be executed and that doesn't work. And and I feel like if I was in his shoes after getting the blow of like, oh, well, we're pointing the finger at you and we think you did it. And then you trying to take me out doesn't work. Like, I'm like, okay, good. You know, like divine intervention, like that, you know, what you thought you had for me did not you know, it, it, it didn't progress. I'm, you know, I have hope now. And it literally just led him down this path of like, at first you don't succeed. Try, 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 try again. And there was never a point in time in which there was success, um, for this, this poor teenager. And like I said, back in these times, a lot of things were not documented. So it doesn't say much about his family or, you know, his siblings, what everybody did after, after his passing, you know, how hard they fought. But it does say that the community was really allying behind him after that botched attempt. 
to get them to just leave him alone, to just let him serve his time with life in prison um, and not make him go through being um, in the electric chair again. Um, I find it very, very, um, I don't even know what the word, what word I'm looking for, but just that people are allying, um, together in order to fight for a cause that has nothing to do with them. I feel like a lot of times we are under the, the, the belief that if it's not us or someone close to us, then like, what does it have to do with me? And why would I want to put myself on the line for something that has nothing to do with me? And so I find that just amazing within itself that he has, you know, people fighting saying like, is there something else that we can do? I, I, I think it's also amazing that his lawyer got backlash because the lawyer was actually friends with the, um, the pharmacist, uh, Andrew Thomas. So he got backlash for one for like fighting for his supposed friend's killer. Um, but he was like, I'm not fighting for, for that. I'm fighting for just his human rights. Um, he also obviously got backlash for fighting for a black person in general. Um, so I, I find it commendable that he would even put himself and his reputation and his name on the line for someone else. And I find it com- commendable that the, um, assistant justice, despite the fact that he, he really, he was the one that was tying up. So at one point in time, when they took his, when they took Willie's case to the Supreme Justice, I mean, Supreme Justice, to the Supreme Court, they were locked at, at a tie. And um, it was said that the that um, Felix was the one that was holding them up. He was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that this is humane to make him do this again. Um, but because of the time period, the Jim Crow laws, all of the outcry and all of that, he went against his better judgment and he decided to go ahead and re-sentence him to the electric chair. And then even after all of that, he still has some shred of humanity as he tried to right what he felt was wrong by trying to get them to not put him, um, you know, in this position again and just let him serve his time in a prison system. Um, I, I just, I think that was amazing. And I know, I I guess for me, I have to find little small victories in some of these stories because sometimes there is no, no victory. There's nothing to be happy, um, or smile about. There's just a lot of, you know, heartbreak and pain and, you know, sadness. Um, I'm going to find a story in which there's a happy ending because I think we all need a happy ending in these stories. Um, but that is the story of Mr. (sighs) That is the story of Mr. Willie Francis, um, who was the unlucky one who was our, the first person to be documented to, to have a failed execution and be able to give an account, a story of what it felt like to be in the electric chair. Okay. So I promised shout outs and I was going to be like, um, real, I don't know, basic, I guess. And just shout out like one 
spot at a time, but I just want to take a quick second and thank um, you guys as listeners. So in the United States, we have um, family in Texas, Georgia, California, Virginia, Colorado, Illinois, South Carolina, District of Columbia, Maryland, North Carolina, Ohio, Oregon, New York, Massachusetts, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, Washington, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. Y'all, honestly, I I was like, nah, this is just going to be like central and I'm going to look at this list and I'm like, oh yeah, my people, people that I know, people that I send this to every week and be like, hey, did y'all listen to my episode? I I don't know if I know anybody in all these states. And so I just thank you guys for wanting to be a part of the family, not even knowing me from a hole in the wall. So thank you. Um, We also have family in the United Kingdom of Wales. Uh, We also have family in South Africa in the Western Cape and in New Zealand in Wellington. So I thank you guys as well for tuning in with me for, uh, you know, giving me these episodes that kind of getting longer and longer. So I was going to say like 20 minutes, but I think my episodes here lately have been about 40. So giving me about, um, you know, a, uh, um, an hour long special, <laughs> um, of just rocking with me, listening to me, um, that whole shebang again you guys thank you thank you thank you um please go to apple podcast and leave me a review um once i get like consistent enough numbers where i feel like we have enough following i will be making some social media accounts and a gmail so that i can keep in contact with you guys so i have somewhere for you guys to send your case um suggestions as well as um I was told to put up pictures. Um, right now, I feel like, I don't know, that would be more on my plate. Um, and and we have the numbers, but we don't really have the numbers. So um, I want to wait a little bit before I start like an Instagram and stuff. But when I start the Instagram, the Instagram will consist of the, the, the people that are involved in the story so that you can see what they look like, as well as maybe some sound clips so that you can also, um, hear some of the like nine one one calls and things of the nature of that nature. Only reason why I don't put it in the episodes is because, um, I'm recording and I've set up my vocals so that I stay consistent throughout the whole episode and taking a recording from somewhere else sometimes sounds really, uh, distorted and muffled and there's nothing I can do about how it sounds. Um, so then it'll be listening to me on a consistent, volume and then listening to something that sounds very distorted. Um, but anyways, enough about that. I also have, um, some more history lessons that I plan on doing for you guys. So stay tuned for that. Um, and then I, I think I'm going to start one more segment. Um, I'll probably give it a couple more weeks before I do that one, but we'll see, but I have some things in the works. And so, Um, like always, I just thank you guys so much for tuning in, for taking the time to let me tell you a story, um, for just, you know, just 
just being you. I mean, I don't, I really don't have anything else. I guess I'm, I'm, I like to talk, but when it comes to like really giving you guys a proper thank you, I have no words because I am just so humbled by the fact that I have, um, the amount of people and the following that I have. So I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Um, we're going to give our, our boy, our deceased homie, uh, Mr. Willie, a moment of silence as we remember his life and his legacy, um, because of his misfortune, um, they have changed the laws. They have changed how they do executions. They have changed executions in general, um, so sometimes these stories, even though they're tragic, lead to some rainbow somewhere, even if it's later, way later on down the line. So I want to give him his flowers. Please, you guys, remember to go on the Apple Podcast, leave a review, share mama, auntie, cousin, uncles, um, brothers, dads, whole shebang, coworkers, people you like, people you don't like, share, 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 get them to be a part of the team, a part of the crew, part of the family, um, because we like it here, don't we? Um, <laughs> all right, you guys, I'm out. And as always, remember to love one another, be kind to one another, watch out for what lies in the dark, because I don't want to have to report on you. I will be back here next week for another episode to help you feed your true crime addiction. Love you. Bye.